Hello and welcome to Tackling Football with Chloe Singer, where we cover all things NFL related. Today we'll be previewing the NFC South and making some predictions for the upcoming season. But first, I wanted to thank everyone for deciding to hit play on this podcast. I've always been interested in sports, first as an athlete, then as a fan and intern with the Cleveland Browns. And as someone highly involved in the industry, I was growing tired of the existing sports media landscape where the same topics and big name teams are talked about ad nauseum with little insight or data behind their analysis. And then it hit me. Should I make a podcast? Now, don't get it twisted. I do not think I'm going to reinvent sports media but I do want to discuss NFL topics in a way that is accessible, well-researched, actionable, and realistic. I also hope that through this platform, I can facilitate some really interesting and exciting conversations about what is going on in the league. Over the course of the summer, as I was working on this podcast, I was thinking about what I should talk about in the first episode. And I had a lot of different options. I could explore the Aaron Rodgers trade, why running backs continue to be underpaid, or the 49ers' decision to firmly move on from their 2021 third overall pick, Trey Lance, and begin the Brock Purdy era. But I didn't choose any of these. Instead, I chose to talk about the NFC South, a division which by all accounts was awful last season. Why? Maybe it's because I'm a Jets fan and a little delusional and masochistic at heart. Or maybe I'm a delusional Jets fan who is optimistic that this year will be different. Because in the preseason, anything is possible. And certainly anything is possible in the NFC South where I think every team has a wide range of outcomes for the season. Between the Saints, Falcons, Panthers, and Buccaneers, each team could potentially win the division or finish last. So let's dive in. Last year, not much separated these teams from one another. And spoiler alert, they were all bad. The Bucks won the division with an eight and nine record, while the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers all finished seven and 10. But the NFL is a league full of turnover, and there has not been a changing of the guards quite like what we're about to see in the NFC South, as each team will have a new starting quarterback for week one of 2023. The Bucks will move on from the GOAT, Tom Brady, to Baker Mayfield, the Saints spent big this offseason to acquire Derek Carr, an upgrade from turnover-prone Jameson Winston. Second-year pro Desmond Ritter will helm the Falcons, which had Marcus Mariota as its starter this time last year. And lastly, the Panthers will roll out 5'10 rookie Bryce Young. I would put a short joke in here, but that feels like low-hanging fruit. My point is this division feels very much up for grabs. But someone is going to win it. And due to their easy schedule, mainly because they all get to play each other twice, it's very likely that 
a team from this division will surprise people and stack together a bunch of wins. Therefore, there's a lot to be hopeful about. With that said, let's look into each team's case for success this season, starting with the team that Vegas has their money on, the New Orleans Saints. According to BetMGM, the Saints are the favorites at plus 130, and their over-under win total for the season is 9.5. And I get it. The Saints probably should be the favorites. They have the most proven roster. They have a winning culture. And Derek Carr has been a good starting quarterback in the league. The Saints also sneakily had a top 10 defense last season. They extended their new franchise sack leader, Cameron Jordan, and bring back pro bowlers, Marshawn Lattimore, Tyron Matthew, and Demario Davis. In addition, the Saints picked up ex-Jet Nathan Shepard and ex-Chief Kalen Saunders to replenish a defensive line that lost Marcus Davenport, David Onyemata, and Shai Tuttle. This unit should once again be in the top half of the NFL. Yet I still don't feel entirely comfortable saying they're going to run away with the NFC South. To put it simply, I have questions. First off, How much of an upgrade is Derek Carr? If we look at Carr's career stats versus Saints passers last season, which consisted of three games of Jameis Winston and 14 games of Andy Dalton, they're not that different. Carr's stats are as follows. 64% completion percentage, 6.43 net yards game per attempt, 248 yards per game, and he averages 26 touchdowns and 12 picks in a 17-game season. The Saints passers from 2022, 66% completion percentage, 217 yards per game, 6.7 net yard gain per attempt, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks. I mean, which quarterback would you want? I think the Saints are right to want Derek Carr. I do think he's an upgrade, but I don't think he's that big of an upgrade. Next, how will Kamara look after he comes back from suspension? After scoring 21 rushing and receiving touchdowns in 2020, it was expected that Kamara would not be able to repeat that same level of production. But more than taking a step back and regressing to the mean, he just regressed. In both 2021 and 2022, He didn't look quite as explosive. He was inefficient. Last year, Kamara's 4.0 yards per carry ranked 34th out of eligible running backs. Oh, and the Saints running back signing to take over while Kamara is out is Jamal Williams, who averaged 4.1 yards per carry, which ranked 33rd. Albeit a lot of Williams carries We're at the goal line as he racked up 17 rushing touchdowns. And that probably hurt his yards per carry. But still, you get the point. They're not much different in efficiency. I mean, I generally like this signing, but I'm a bit biased from watching Jamal Williams on Hard Knocks last season. And I just love what he can bring to a team. I'm just not sure how much juice their running game will have this year. And lastly, I hope this year we get to find out if Dennis Allen is the answer at head coach. 
Allen's a defensive guy, and the Saints' defense was really good last year. Hence, most of my concerns about this team pertain to offense. But the team got the guy they wanted at QB this offseason and has a strong receiving core with Olave, Michael Thomas, if he can stay healthy, Jawan Johnson, and Rashid Shaheed. I think given the state of this division, Allen will be expected to lead this team into the playoffs. If that doesn't happen, his name could very well be on the hot seat come next season. Side note, I think Sean Payton screwed up by leaving the Saints. I mean, I get it. He wanted a break and time off, but I can't imagine that he would prefer to be coaching Russell Wilson in Denver over this team. More on this later. Moving on to the Panthers. This year is all about Bryce Young. While a lot has been made about Young's height, I actually think his hand size matters more. <laughs> okay, obviously I'm kidding. As a five foot zero person myself, I cannot judge and logically, if you could see the field in college, he can do it in the NFL. This is not what I'm worried about. The real issue is that he is a rookie and rookie quarterbacks struggle in the NFL. With the good comes a whole lot of bad. Since 2010, 40 quarterbacks have been drafted in the first round. Out of the 35 that played meaningful time during their rookie season, only eight passed for over 20 touchdowns, 16 passed for over 200 yards per game, and six had a winning record as a starter. Remember the conversations surrounding Justin Fields towards the end of last year? People were excited because he was genuinely doing incredible things, scrambling out of the pocket and scoring 60-yard rushing touchdowns. And that's great. But the team finished with three wins and found themselves with the number one overall draft pick over a Texans team, I might add, who were actively trying to get the pick. The point is, it's hard to be consistent when you're a young player in the NFL. And hopefully Young will get there. He has a good head coach in Frank Wright and quarterbacks coach in Josh McCown. I just don't see any way this team can finish with a winning record this year. In addition to Young being a rookie, the Panthers did not do a whole lot to make his life easier on offense. They traded away DJ Moore to the aforementioned Bears in order to draft him and a bunch of, and picked up a bunch of solid veteran wide receivers and Miles Sanders. And these players are nothing to scoff at but none of them are going to be good enough to elevate Young's rookie play. The average rookie quarterback since 2010 has a 56.4 completion percentage, throws for 205 yards per game, and averages 1.12 touchdowns per game, or 19 over a 17-game season. And they win 38% of their games. I think Bryce Young will perform very close to this average. Ultimately, I think this team will finish with six or seven wins. Next up, we have the Buccaneers, 
who begin their post-Tom Brady freefall with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. Baker, similar to another Browns former first-round pick, Johnny Football, who apparently watched zero hours of film when he was with the Browns. That actually blows my mind. There was a player in the NFL that not just that just opted not to watch film and was not immediately cut. Anyways, I digress. Baker, Baker is an exciting brand of football. Unfortunately, the Bucks are not. The Bucks may not be the worst team in the NFL, but they may be the most boring to watch. Todd Bowles is going to coach a solid defense and the offense will play slow and methodically. I suspect this offense will not have much, if any, rhythm and be a constant eyesore. The reason I know this is because even with Tom Brady at the helm last year, this team sucked on offense. They ranked 15th in yards per game. They were last in rush yards per game with 77 rush yards. They were 21st in third down percentage and 25th in points per game. The team was second in pass yards, but with Brady out and Baker in, I expect that number to go down. This team could be a mix of the Broncos, Jets, or Saints last year with a pretty good defense and middling offense. Lastly, the Falcons. This is my surprise team this year. A team not much is thought of, but around week 11, similar to the Giants last year, you may look up and go, wait, the Falcons are seven and four? This tank is almost as much to do with their strength of schedule as it does with their strength of roster. But there are a few things I like about this team. Arthur Smith knows the identity of this football team and is going to run the ball down opposing teams' throats. With Derrick Henry in Tennessee, Smith's rushing offense ranked second and third in 2019 and 2020. Last year, the Falcons led the league in rush attempts and had the third most rushing yards. Then they drafted B. John Robinson, who was pretty much as good as you can get at the running back position in college. In his last season at Texas, Bijan had almost 1,900 scrimmage yards, scrimmage yards and 20 touchdowns in just 12 games. He also is adept at breaking tackles and getting yards after contact, finishing top 10 in both categories in college. Running behind one of the best offensive line units in the league, in Smith's design plays, Bijan should have a monster year. There is a reason he's being drafted as the RB3 in fantasy, despite having never played an NFL snap. The pass game for the Falcons will operate as a complement to the run game. They will employ a lot of play action, which will allow Desmond Ritter to make easy completions. Preset motions will also be used frequently to help Ritter identify defensive coverages and assign protections. Now, do I have concerns about how far Ritter can take this team? Of course, but I don't think he will be asked to do that much. And I think Arthur Smith is really adept at designing schemes that play to the strength of this roster. 
The defense, on the other hand, I have concerns about. The Falcons spent big in free agency to try to upgrade a unit that was, by all measures, the worst in the league. In total, they had eight free agent defensive players that they signed. I like the additions of Bud Dupree, Jesse Bates III, David Onyapata, Jeff Kuda, and Calais Campbell, but I'm not sure it'll be enough. A lot hinges on the health of the veteran players and if Okuda can continue to develop. Nevertheless, despite their defense being a potential liability, this team has a very reasonable path to 10 wins. Here are their opponents. Week one, Panthers at home. Week two, Packers at home. Both rookie quarterbacks, essentially. I think those are both wins. Then they have two road games at Lions and in Germany versus Jacksonville. I think those are two losses. Then they come back home and play Houston, Washington. I think those are two wins. Here comes the interesting part. At Tampa Bay, at Tennessee. I think these games will say a lot about this team. And I think they both end up being wins. I mentioned why I don't really like the Bucks this year. And I think Smith gets the edge over his former team because the Titans have the worst offensive line in the league. And if both teams' brand of football is rushing, I prefer the team that has one of the best offensive lines in the league in the Falcons over the team with the worst offensive line in the Titans. Then they play at the Rovers, the Vikings. That's a loss. At Cardinals, that's a win. I think they split with the Saints. I think they sweep the Bucks. And I think they beat the Colts. If I had to project it, that's how you get the Falcons to 10 wins. And it's not as crazy as it sounds. I'm not saying they will for sure make the playoffs, but they will definitely be in the mix down the stretch, especially with a pretty easy front half of games. So why spend all this time talking about the NFC South? One, because the NFL is a league of change and the turnover we're seeing right now in the NFC South is something that most teams struggle with. I should know the Jets have been in a rebuild for a decade. And two, because even in what seems like the worst division in football, there are a lot of interesting storylines to follow. I, for one, can't wait for Baker Mayfield to have a fourth quarter comeback and hear all about his great redemption arc before then going on a multi-game losing streak. I just know it's bound to happen. Ultimately, I think the NFC South will finish like this. Saints will win it with a 12-5 and record. The Falcons will sneak into a wild card spot at 10-7. and The Panthers finish at 7-10, and and the Bucks at 6-11. and With the season right around the corner, this is the perfect time to make some predictions. Now, just about everyone makes predictions before the season. But I only want to make predictions that I feel confident about. 
So much so that I dubbed this segment, would I bet my house on it? In other words, would I be willing to risk something that I actually valued on this prediction? Now, I am a college student and I don't have a house. But like Aaron Rodgers said on Hard Knocks, I believe in accountability. Therefore, at season's end, when we revisit this list, for every prediction I get incorrect, I will send out a piece of tackling football merchandise, which will be coming soon to listeners. Here are my five predictions for the season. Number one, Calvin Ridley is going to have a big year. I keep having to remind myself that Ridley did not miss the season to injury or suspension. Nope. He was just like you and me and wanted to place a bet and get in on the action. There was a video swirling around a couple of weeks ago where Zay Jones and Ridley were doing a receiving throw. Jones runs out first, does a stutter step move, and makes the catch. Then, literally zooming into the frame comes Ridley. On Twitter, or X, where I first encountered the video, I noticed many comments said that Joan looks like he's in JV compared to Ridley, who's in varsity. And while I don't put a ton of weight in preseason practice videos, but I think the video clearly shows that Ridley is determined and motivated to have a big season and prove that he's still relevant and one of the best receivers in the league. Think about this. Ridley is just 28 years old and entering his fifth season in the league. He is fully healthy and about to go on a tear. I'm betting heavily on the Jaguars this season and trying to buy as much Ridley stock as I possibly can. Assuming health, he should easily clear over 900 receiving yards, his current over-under line. Number two, the Rams finish with the league's worst defense and at least a bottom 10 unit. Aside from Aaron Donald, not much remains from the Rams Super Bowl winning roster on defense. Jalen Ramsey plays for the Dolphins and Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd are now Bills. When the Rams decide to go all in on a Super Bowl in 2021, they mortgaged a lot of their cap space and draft capital. As a result, they have to turn to a lot of young, inexperienced guys. All their starters and backups in the secondary, aside from journeyman Witherspoon, have two years or fewer experience. On paper, this defense does not look good. And so far in practice, they've also been bad. In preseason, this unit received a 50.5 defensive grade from PFF, which was the worst in the NFL. I expect this defense to be picked apart, especially by divisional rivals Seattle and San Francisco, which have very talented offensive rosters. Prediction number three. Tomlin stays over 500. Part of me is saying this because I want it to be true. I want Tomlin to be able to continue his streak, but I also believe in coaching in the NFL. 
Football is different from most other sports. In a sport like basketball, each team has five players on the court and the play is fluid. That means that there are a few moments to really affect play as a coach. You can design schemes and make substitutions, but ultimately the game comes down to the players on the roster. And as one of five, a great player can exert massive influence. In football, it's different. There's a 53-man roster and practice squad guys, which means that coaching plays a big part in building culture and setting the tone for a team. Coaches also can script plays and make substitutions on every single snap. And when you've been a head coach for 16 years and have not had a losing season to date, I put stock in that. Tomlin is a damn good head coach and has found ways to win with all sorts of rosters and injuries. He adapts and he has a great connection with his players. In this year, I think the Steelers boast a pretty competitive roster, certainly better than last year's roster, which went nine and eight. Getting a few comeback wins under his belt at the end of last season, I think has given Pickett a lot of confidence heading into year two. While his offensive line is mediocre at best, Pickett is surrounded by a bunch of playmakers on offense. George Pickens is explosive and can make and extend plays. Deontay Johnson is a precise route runner and a quarterback's best friend. Fryer Move is a big target over the middle, and Najee Harris is still a good young back. All Pickett will have to do is distribute, and I expect him to do just that. On defense, the Steelers need TJ Watt to stay healthy. The splits with Watt last year were crazy. In 10 games with Watt, the Steelers went 8-2, allowing just 16.9 points and 289 yards per game, while recording 32 sacks and 18 takeaways. Without Watt, the Steelers allowed 25.3 points, 389 yards per game, and they only had 8 sacks and 5 takeaways. Since I don't want to give any what injury conditions, caveats, you name it to this prediction, I will just say that Tomlin and the Steelers have shown a great ability to draft and develop talent. So even if Watt goes down for a few games, I think when all is said and done, Tomlin keeps the streak alive. Number four, the Broncos have a losing record. Again, I think Sean Payton is a great offensive mind and football coach. And I wanted so badly to put blind trust and faith in him to fix Russell Wilson this year. After all, I just talked about how important coaching is in the NFL. But I think trouble is brewing in Denver. Coaching has a big impact, but you also need the talent to align with what the coach wants to execute. And reports out of camp have been that there is friction between Wilson and Payton already. The receiving core is banged up with Tim Patrick out for the year and Judy set to miss the first few weeks with a hamstring injury, which we all know can linger later on into the season. The offensive line was a point of emphasis in the offseason and should be much better this year. I do think the Broncos take a step in the right direction and get seven to eight wins, but I don't think Peyton completely writes the ship in year one. 
And number five, an NFC team is going to win the Super Bowl. Now, hang with me because this logic may seem counterintuitive. The AFC is stacked with probably 10 of the top 13 teams in the league. That means it will be a bloodbath to fight your way into the playoffs and win games and make it to the Super Bowl and then win in the Super Bowl. And I think an NFC team will be healthier at the end of the year. And I think they'll end up winning it. This also whittles down the list of contenders considerably when placing bets. You could go with the Eagles or 49ers as the top two contenders. I mean, I could throw the Cowboys in there, but they just, I don't have any trust in them. Personally, I would put my money on the 49ers at plus a thousand. I also think it'd be wise to buy the Jaguars while they're at plus 2,800. I think the Jaguars are going to rack up like 13 wins. They're going to win the AFC South. I think they could even finish as the number one overall team in the AFC. So buy their stock now before the season and then sell towards the end of the regular season once they establish themselves as a true contender. I don't know. That's what I think. Making this podcast has truly been a labor of love. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a like, subscribe, or follow. You can find me on all socials at Chloe Tackles. I'll be back next Wednesday previewing week one of the season and we'll be releasing episodes every Wednesday morning throughout the rest of the season. Until next time.